Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B, and on this show, we'll talk truth on tough topics to help you normalize and navigate the junk and invite you to choose epic joy on the daily. Because let's be honest, life gets to be a whole lot of both. We'll jam on beliefs, breakups, body image, and so much more to create breakthroughs and become the truest you. Like my mama B always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I have an amazing guest for you today. Miss Megan Walker is a food and body self-love coach, and she's going to share how her journey of Adderall and food addiction led her to her purpose, worthiness, and confidence. She now runs her own business, guiding women to love themselves, their bodies, and find food freedom. You can check her on IG, check her out on IG at Megan Walker Co underscore, which we'll revisit that in just a minute, but welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Wow. I'm, I'm so energized, even just being on the other side of the phone. It's beautiful. I, you and I have been cert buddies, certification buddies in the food and body world for over a year now. And we're both just serving women all over the place in this world of food and body and beyond, beyond. So I'm just like, so excited to have you today to really dive into kind of the beyond of really finding comfort and confidence and really seeing how without the pain, there wouldn't be all the gains, you know, no pain, no gain. Like they say, you know what I mean? No pain, no gain. Totally. And I think it's so like, along with that, so important to recognize that we tend to look external for everything to make us feel better. We're so dependent on this, whether it be people, certain situations, certain situations, jobs, whatever. And we look when we feel that like twinge of pain, we constantly look outwards externally from ourselves. And that's really what I love talking about. The fact that whatever you're looking for, whatever the sensation you're looking for, the, the emotional need that you're looking for, you can meet it internally. And it doesn't have to be efforted until you're throwing up, you know, like it doesn't have to take a lot of effort to feel the way that you want to feel. We're conditioned to think that it's so hard and it's, it takes so much, um, yeah, effort and just really strenuous to live a life of alignment and don't get me wrong. Pain is required. Suffering is optional. I always come back to that quote. Always. I love that quote. I love that quote. I can't even remember where it came from, but that's so true. That's so Mm -hmm. true. Suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. Like pain is there. Yes. And we tend to, we like our struggle. I mean, as much as I don't like admitting that when I was in my critical, like really, really rough food and body days, being addicted to to alcohol, being addicted to Adderall, both at the same time, (laughs) like being hyped up as more than you could believe during the day, going home and starting to drink immediately when I got home. So you can imagine the reality that that was. Um, But the pain that was moving through me, I just constantly ignored it. Mm. And I didn't know that pain and 
and my life and my body wouldn't give me anything that I couldn't handle. So I just thought I was so weak and I thought that I just had to keep running from it. Um, but I was addicted to my struggle, even though it didn't feel good. It felt quote unquote familiar. Hmm. So I felt the need to kind of hang over there, even though it sucked. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your story. You can, you can take us as far back you want and as, as detailed or lack thereof as you want, but you know, obsessing over what your body looked like, how much you weighed, how much you ate, counting calories every day, all that kind of stuff. And what really drove you? What was that pivotal point that drove you to go, hey, Adderall and alcohol, that's the magic solution. I don't want to feel pain whatsoever. Like where was, tell us a little bit about what that looked like for you. Totally. So I was probably, um, 2021 when I, well, let's go back 16. I could not live a life where I wasn't X amount on the scale. I Mm -hmm. lived for what the scale said from, and I wouldn't even say, I mean, I just constantly, you know, saw my mom on diets and, or my aunts on diets or television people marketing, just looking a certain way. And that's the way you had to look to quote unquote, be accepted or to be beautiful. And I'm not that old. So if like, this is happening when, even when I was 16, it's like, my God. Did you buy all the magazines like self magazine and women's health magazine? It was something different than like teen magazine, but there was like these 20 some year old women with rock solid abs and everything. It was like, that's what what my go-to out beg my mom to like get me subscriptions to all these women's magazines and hope that they would possibly have the answer for me to love myself inside. Exactly. Like end quote, right? Oh, so exactly. I would look at all these things at stores, on television, uh, listening to the radio. We had to look a certain way. So immediately as an eighth grader, all through high school, all through college, counting calories, like not eating more than God, my goal used to be 900 calories Mm. a day, in a whole day. And I was just so exhausted and so tired, but I wouldn't stop. I couldn't stop because I would weigh myself. And even if I gained like half a pound, I would feel so much shame and so much judgment towards myself. And nobody would accept accept me unless I could lose that 0.5 of a pound. When in reality, no one can tell when you gain five or 10, right? (laughs) Usually even 20. I mean, (laughs) realistically, most of the time you cannot tell. And then you become so frustrated because you're like, I just worked my ass off for six to eight months to lose 20 pounds. And nobody even notices. Nobody Mm -hmm. loves me any more or any less. But then we stay in this vicious cycle of it. Right. And the kicker is. Yes. And the kicker is like, I did the juice cleanse. I did the, um, brought the bone broth cleanse, lost, lost weight. And I didn't feel any different. I was still like, oh my gosh, if I do this, then I'll be happy. If I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. And Q Adderall, which makes people lose weight and suppress appetite and not have any sense of like what my action, my body actually needs. So I absolutely turned to that, not only for fake confidence and that feeling of, oh, wow, well, maybe I do fit in mm. and subbed it in for, yeah, it's going to suppress my appetite at the same time. So as a 20 something, that was very exciting to be high as a kite 
talking a million miles a minute, super happy. And I'm not going to lie. I love the feeling of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and wanting to be that, you know, there, I feel like what, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's like this vision that you have for yourself that I want to be this person. I want to be the person that can talk to anybody and show up as I am and not have to filter my words and not have to think about anything. And so the real desire is to just be the version of yourself that you actually want to be. But it's, it's like when you, when you drink as much as you possibly can, when you go to a party, because you think you have social anxiety and you just want to be the person that can talk to anybody and be comfortable with anybody. And so I did that for a long time where I was like, I'll just drink and then it won't matter. And then it came to the point where I was like, oh, I'm saying things that people aren't very excited about because I've been drinking too much. (laughs) So the Adderall really is just like that, that blocker to the cognitive mind to go like, Hey, you don't have to filter yourself. You can be whoever you want. Just go for it, relax a little bit. Exactly. And like, again, turning to something outside of me to make me feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And because I had zero self-worth because like I didn't weigh the amount that I quote unquote was normal or was acceptable to be pretty as a woman. So lots of Adderall, lots of drinking and just lots of self-judgment and not going out to eat because, oh my God, heaven forbid, my plate is full and there's people looking at me. I can't eat this. Mm-hmm. I had horrible anxiety around going out to eat at any time. Mm-hmm. And that goes, even in eighth grade, I would just, I don't like going out to eat. I don't like going out to eat because I was afraid to eat the food on my plate, mm-hmm. which if I could talk to that eighth grader version of me, I would just cradle her like a freaking baby because She was so afraid, but I think there comes a time in our lives, my life for sure. I was 27, 28, and I had been year six, seven of just trashing the fuck out of my body with alcohol, with dieting, with just starving myself, not only with food, but starving myself in all of my relationships, starving myself out of all of my emotions, not feeling anything. And I always say to the clients that I work with, if you're not willing to feel the lows of the lows, you're definitely not going to feel the highs of the highs. Mm -hmm. So I was so in a place of completely muted, a muted life. It was very gray. It was very blah. I was in a very, very toxic relationship where we kind of just like fed off of each other's addictive personalities and sadness and grief and anger. Um, but I think there comes a time in everybody's lives, lives for me when I was 28, 27, where you just get really sick of your own bullshit. That's it. And I remember waking up at really early in the morning because you don't sleep all when you're really hyped up and then you're really hyped down. So like 5.30, two bottles of wine empty next to my bed. And like I set up my Adderall pill on my nightstand because I knew I was going to need it the next morning. And I just looked at it, looked at the setup I had for myself. And I was like, oh my God, how did I even get here? Living in a tiny, like 230 square foot closet apartment, Hmm. making no money, making horrible decisions. I just looked at that visualization And I was like, I'm moving, I'm moving home. Like I can't do this. Mm. Something has to change or honestly, my body will give out on me. Wow. 
you knew I totally that intuitive hit. You're like, I got to listen up. I got to tune in enough already. Like I, I got to the same point, Megan, where I was like, enough already enough trying to fake to other people how you feel or don't feel enough trying to hide what's really going on enough trying to just like it was exhausting like you said no wonder you wanted the Adderall it's like boost me up I'm exhausted of focusing on everything else that's not serving my life like that's exhausting me to think about when I'm gonna it, it is really this food obsession is like it is a disease it's it just takes over the show. And you're like, I'm so tired of making this be the only, the main priority in my life over everything else. When this isn't even making me happy. I'm so bummed out. And I'm like, not enjoying any part of my food or my life or my conversations because I'm, I, I, it's just taking over. It's consuming me. So I love that you looked at your setup and you were like this, I got to set myself up differently. Something mm-hmm. has to change. Something has to change. People forget that that so if you want to change, something has to change. That's so true. What is that? Um, basically what you just said of nothing changes if nothing changes. Yes. And I was the first person on like social media saying, you know, my, my connection to source or universe or whatever and completely just living this facade that I was healthy. Mm-hmm. I was so unhealthy. I was skinny, but I was, I was like making this such a big facade of, oh, Megan, she must be doing really well. She's like really skinny. Everybody um, was like, oh, she's the girl who eats like a rabbit. And it, I made it, it was my identity. Mm-hmm. I was so happy when people would say that those sort of things to me. And on social media, I looked like I had it all together. My life was so good. I even though I didn't have much to show for it, but I was, I was happy, whatever, quote unquote happy. And, um, so I moved home and I, yeah, quit my job, moved out, got out of the relationship that I was in. And I decided that I was going to heal myself as, as it's, it's really gets to be that simple. There doesn't have to be this I got, I definitely got to rock bottom. I, my health was not good. My mental status was not good. Um, but it just has to be one decision. It doesn't have to be this huge undertaking, which I think a lot of people think that, you know, healing is so hard and it takes so much work and it's so painful and it's so this, and it's so that, um, it, it is, but like I said, this, the suffering is just the act of releasing what is not, what is not you anymore. Right. What's not serving you, what necessarily wasn't ever serving you. Um, and getting honest with yourself. I think that's really important. Mm. I, I was lying to myself for years and years. And then that morning, it's like, you can only live that lie for so long until your higher power, God, source, whatever universe just continues knocking and says, you know, like, when are you going to be ready to stop your struggle and start living a life that holy shit actually feels good? Mm -hmm. When are you going to invite yourself to make it available to yourself? Oh, exactly. Because it's really just this big game of permissioning. What do I need permission to do? 
What do I need permission to step into? And I have to be willing to receive the permission from myself in order to make the change. I remember, I remember a night so specifically, and I don't know why this is coming up, but I'm sure it will lead somewhere. Uh, I would constantly go on these diet bets. Do you remember the like diet bets? Did you ever do those? It was, it was this system online. It was like all set up for you and everybody would bet a certain amount of money and you could do it like with people that you didn't know like Jillian Michaels would run them all the time do my diet yep. bet put a hundred dollars in and if you reach your goal which was like 10 percent in four weeks or whatever if you reached your goal you got a percentage of the kitty like if it was like five hundred dollars or five million dollars and you know all the people did it everybody would get basically your money back that's so fucked up <laughs> And so I would constantly like call my friends and be like, okay, you guys, here we go. Diet bet, diet bet, let's do it. And you, and you had to actually, they emailed you a code, a secret code that only you knew from your phone. And then you had to put it on an index card and put it on your scale and step on your scale so that they knew that that was you stepping on the scale with your secret code. And then you had to weigh yourself every single week and it would tell you if you were doing a good job or a bad job or on track to get the money or not. And I remember one night after eating the pizza and having the whole bottle of wine by myself, this was after my divorce. And I was just like, I know we'll just uh, eat pizza and drink wine every night and not tell anybody how we're actually feeling and not feel any <laughs> of the pain. That's a great idea. And just live in isolation in my shoebox apartment in California by myself and pretend that life was going to be fine. I just needed to wait it out. I convinced myself, I just need to wait out the pain, like just give it time to live its course, numb it as long as possible. And eventually the day will come where you won't feel it anymore. And all I was really doing is delaying the pain to the day when I actually was willing to feel it. And it wasn't until that I actually felt it that the healing process could start, but I thought that I could bypass the system through diet bets and through wine and, and, and pizza and, <laughs> and then over-exercising. So add everything to the mix. And oh. it was just a recipe for disaster of waiting for the pain to pass when really the gain is in the pain. Yes. I always ask myself and my clients is when was the last time you felt a really uncomfortable emotion or you felt your pain come up, you ignored it, and then it never came back again. <laughs> it doesn't pay to ignore your pain. It doesn't pay to suppress with food or drugs or alcohol or porn or gambling or whatever your, your vice or strategy is. It doesn't pay because what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. Essentially, it's just going to take up real estate in your body, whether that's in a physical ailment or, um, an external shift that doesn't feel so hot or so good. Um, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't pay. It's just going to get stronger. And then we, then we let it fester. And then, and then we project our shit and our pain on other people. And when we deny that pain, it's just going to keep knocking on the door. It's literally waiting for us to pay attention. Like your, mm -hmm. your pain that you're feeling in your brain, 
the logical mind, in your heart, your emotional space, or your intuitive space, the pain that you're feeling is just your body asking you to pay attention. All of these sensations. Pain equals pay attention. Give me something that I need, you know? So you move home and how do you make the shift of the new perspective on pain? How does that shift occur? I think, so I was jobless for a while because I didn't have, um, I quit my job and left and I did a lot of reading. I was spending a lot of time by myself, even though I hated it because I'm the only one that didn't have a job. Um, And I read this quote that said something about, um, maybe it was Sam on Instagram, actually, our mentor. What happens when you walk in the darkest room of the house? And that scared the shit out of me. But I think that, like you said, that intuitive hit poked me a little bit of like, wait a second, what if the darkest room in the house, I can actually just turn the light on and it's not that scary? Mm. Because what if, what if that's what it is? What if the pain that you're so afraid of is just the light? Mm. They're, they're, they coincide. We can't have light without the dark. We can't have dark without the light. So what if we go into the darkest room of the house and turn the light on, look what's in there? It's never as terrifying as we think it's going to be. In fact, like when we can feel into it and feel through it, we get to the other side and our, it's our freedom on the other side. We're just so conditioned to think that feeling's bad. Mm-hmm. And I know I was like moments from my childhood of like riding a bike, falling off my bike, getting a bloody knee and I would run inside. And what did our parents do? I'm sure yours did the same thing of don't cry. Mm-hmm. You're fine. So we're taught to just suppress all of our emotions and I think that time alone, not having a job and really hitting rock bottom and realizing that there has to be something different. I, I didn't choose here to come and have a shitty time. Yeah. There, has to be some, there has to be some type of fun in this life that's sourced from me, not from drugs, not from alcohol, not from other people. Uh, I love what you said about alone time because I haven't had somebody on my show who has talked about this yet. And that was truly my biggest healing was when I finally decided that I could be okay alone. This was literally one of the biggest pivot points in my whole entire transformation was I was the girl that always wanted people. I always surrounded myself with other people. I always found myself gravitating towards the going outs and all of the activities and whatever. I don't even care what we're doing as long as we're together And so then when I lost my significant other via divorce, I was terrified to be alone. I had spent 11 years with somebody constantly in my life whenever I needed them, whenever I wanted them, whenever I had access to. So to actually sit by myself in my apartment by myself was absolutely terrifying. I hated it. I had to sit with the, um, the thought of, and what happened was, a lot of times I think our cognitive, cognitive mind goes, okay, alone equals loneliness. So true. Like alone equals loneliness and loneliness equals abandonment and alone and loneliness equals you're unworthy. You're not enough. There's sadness, but really alone 
is just allowance. Alone is this opportunity to own who you are. Alone is an opportunity to step into your truth and your knowing because we've spent a long time, those of us seeking outside of ourselves, have spent a long time, time trying to seek validation, significance, love, and connection with everyone else outside of ourselves. So when we sit alone, we don't know how to deliver love, happiness, connection, significance to ourselves. So that was the most healing thing that I could ever do was sit with myself and grow those parts of myself by myself so that when other people started adding it in, adding it back into my life, I was like, wow, why are these friendships so healthy? Wow. (laughs) Why did I just find the actual man of my dreams? Wow. Why is my family treating me different? (laughs) It's because I was treating me fucking different. Finally. I was being who I was meant to be because I took time to be with myself and give myself everything, you know? Oh, that's so juicy. Mm. Being alone. That's so good. Being alone equals allowance. Totally. Like when we can shut out the noise of the world and society and other people's idea of who we should be and the stuff, the ego, when we can shut that out, not allow it to like infiltrate our systems the voice is so much louder the our god or higher power is so much louder it's so it's um such an easier way to receive guidance Mm -hmm. when we can just sit in the quiet i always tell my clients this is weird but go sit and stare at the wall for an hour yes when we're alone and I was scared shitless of this. I, I, I was, I definitely wasn't sitting and staring at the wall like years ago, but I was so scared to be alone with myself. Like, Oh no, what kind of thoughts are going to come in? And, um, what am I going to do about it? Like I would voluntarily like do, do loads of laundry, like one shirt at a time. So I was busy the entire night. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah avoidance distraction like whatever else I can do yes and then when I got that alone time I'm not even I'm trying to think of how I really made the the progression into being alone I think that it's that intuition that higher power of it's okay to be alone it's okay to sit by yourself your your body is um never going to give you anything you can't handle which has been a, such a lifesaver um, line for me when probably Sam said that I, I, my, when my body realizing my body won't ever give me anything I can't handle. That's so amazing to me. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that when you were mentioning the, the darkness, like if I can just go a step into the darkness, that's where the pain lives mm. and know that I can flip the switch on. I can flip the switch on the the light or I say, bring my fear flashlight, like the fear flashlight is on and what's actually in the corner. What's actually, are there cobwebs? Is there a spider in there? And I think a lot of the times our busy brain goes to work and it's like, oh my God, there's going to be a human sized spider in the dark room Mm -hmm. that we approach the room with so much fear and so much overwhelm and so much anxiety, because we've already decided that it's more than we can handle. Mm -hmm. And then when we flip the switch on, 
there's either no spider or there's a teeny tiny one that has no teeth even that we can that we can manage that we can get the cup that we can shine the flashlight on and it's like oh I can be here it's okay to be here. And so we expand our capacity to just sit in the discomfort and give ourselves our power back is really what you're talking about. Like, how can I give myself my power back by introducing things that I normally wouldn't do? So I normally wouldn't, when I started doing my aloneness practice, I guess I would call it, I'm like, I, okay, I've got to practice the things that scare me most because they're not actually scary. I've just decided that they are. So shifting the narrative and going, okay, I've never gone out to dinner by myself. Mm, good. That's so good. It sounds like such a simple thing to do, but for somebody who's afraid of being alone, it's a huge task. Oh, what is the other booth going to think of me? They're going to think I'm a loner and I'm alone over here. And why am I eating by myself? When in fact, nobody's thinking that in the restaurant because they're just enjoying their own meals. They don't care about you. I often think like, Megan, you're not that important. <laughs> yes, you're really people not. Are like, then people are actually saying, oh, I wonder why she's doing that. Why is Megan this? Why? Like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Going to the movie by yourself. You don't even talk during the movies or you shouldn't be. So like, go to a movie by yourself and just start starting to invite myself to do things by myself so that everything started feeling really good alone. So mm. that anytime that I was in pain, I could, I could train myself to feel it, be there, and then invite myself to add something in that didn't feel so horrible. Like I can, I can sit in this, I can live with this. Um, and now whenever I go out to eat with somebody, it's a lot more, it's filled with gratitude. It's like, I can do this alone and I enjoy when there's people with me as well. I get to enjoy both. Yeah. And now I'm to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, um, I'm not sure if I want to go out to dinner with you because I kind of like my alone time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And it's so true that that other person, that external situation, just optimization at that point. Mm. It's like a bonus. It's like, wow, I love doing this by myself and Heidi being here. She's making, she's optimizing my experience. Mm-hmm. She's not um, like driving the whole thing. She's just there and it's really, really great and fun. And we're having an, an amazing time. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. So how do you, how do you think people find real comfort and real confidence? Because you, you and I have both met, had both mastered the fake part of it. How do people shift into more of the, the real comfort and confidence part of it. I think it's really important for people to recognize. And in my journey too, it was so important for me to recognize that my thoughts are not my own. Mm. My thoughts are simply my cave person brain, my reptilian brain that has not evolved literally for thousands of years, telling me that I'm not good enough, telling me that if I do this, then I'm not worthy telling me that I don't deserve this, telling me all the things that that inner critic tells us all day long. When we can recognize that we are the sky, our thoughts, feelings, sensations are the clouds. Sometimes they're really rainy and stormy. Sometimes they're really soft and flowy, but whatever they are, they're just moving through. So if I can act from that, that central channel, because at this point, 
I know what the truth is. I know the truth is that I was, the moment I plopped out of my mother's vagina, I was born worthy. I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to grind, hustle, like show up as anybody but me in order to feel that confidence and worth. So if we can discern what thoughts are actually the truth and what thoughts are just that silly old reptilian cave person brain trying to convince me otherwise, that's when we can say, oh, thank you so much for being here, shitty thought, Mm. but not actually the truth. Mm. Observing my mind rather than latching on to every wacky thought that it has. Mm. I love what you just said about that because it leads me to choice. It leads me to, it literally is, do you, feel, do you ever feel like this is what it's, it, it is for you? The choice of, am I going to listen to the critic voice or am I going to listen to the confidence voice? Mm-hmm. Because they both live in, within me. They both live within me, but whose voice am I going to choose in this moment? Mm-hmm. And once I make that choice and I'm committed to that voice, and like you said, choosing which thoughts get to come in and which thoughts get to drift away, which voice am I going to choose and knowing that I can handle it. Like you said, your body's never going to give you more than you can handle knowing that there isn't going to be a right choice or a wrong choice. There's just going to be a choice and you can handle any outcome. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. So true. Confidence is overrated at times. I think we think it's such a hard thing to achieve because we put confidence on this pedestal. Confidence looks like this rock star of a person. Confidence looks like, you know, only an extrovert. Confidence looks like this, this specific type or thing. And really it's just a choice. We Mm -hmm. make it bigger. We give it meaning. We give it power. But if you just choose, this is how I'm going to be. This is the voice I'm going to know with and grow with. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. You're literally just becoming that version of you. Right. And I think I'm the prime example of anybody can show up, quote unquote, fake confidently. I looked like a confident person for years when I was struggling so much, the most I've ever struggled in my life. Mm. So when we can recognize, like, when we show up authentically, that's the confidence. When I'm crying my freaking eyes out laying on the bathroom floor, that is confidence. Ooh, yes. When I'm um, having, experiencing so much anxiety, my body's so contracted, like I can't even move but I'm feeling it authentically because that's what's real for me. That is showing up confidently. Mm. I think that's a really powerful record, what we can realize. Oh my gosh. What I just heard you describe is vulnerability and ownership of your feelings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's felt. I always, I've always felt since as long as I've known you and it wasn't back in the day with all of your mm-hmm. issues and things like that. But I've always felt like, wow, Megan's such a confident person. But I know that what I'm, what I'm feeling from you is authenticity. It's authenticity. It's vulnerability. It's unfiltered because you, you, you know that you've got permission to choose and handle anything that you're met with. And it's unwavering. It's like, this is who I am. And I, and I'm good with it. 
this is who I am and I'm good with it. And it's not perfection and it doesn't look like this cover of a thing. It's actually just my true knowing that I can handle it. So beautiful. And I love, I love, what's that? I said, thank you. What a compliment. (laughs) For sure. For sure. I always, I always feel like that with you. I'm like, oh, and I know that I'm also going to, when I'm, when I'm around a person like you and what I was really going with this is it's a felt sense of energy. You know, that you that person isn't confidence. It's really just a felt sense of energy in that knowing. And when you can show up to your life and share the high highs and the low lows in that energy, that to me is confidence. It's like, yeah, you guys, I just had a hell of a day. It sucked. I feel like a bag of balls. I feel like I got beat up all over the place and I know I can handle it, but it hurts. It hurts a lot. It hurts Mm -hmm. a lot. And I'm not perfect. And I think a lot of people on social media are only posting their a role. And so you have to be really careful with that. Another thing in my alone time, going back to that is I forced myself to turn off the phone. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the, the previous version of me lived in this sense of like, I have to know with ex-boyfriends, right? It was like, well, what are they doing? Have they moved on? Are they doing this? Are they, and all of my energy poured into what they were doing, how they were moving on, how they were without me. Instead of when I shifted into this space of true healing, I didn't give two shits what was going on with him. In fact, I blocked everything and everyone that had anything to do with him so that I could continue to live in my human experience and really get to know and nurture my own human needs, like me needs, because I'd been doing that stuff for a really long time and it wasn't working. So to be truly alone with yourself and know yourself is to shut off everything external, really, really turning it off and tuning in. Yeah. And then we ask ourselves, who am I really? Hmm. Who am I really? That's such a doozy of a question because it's, we literally, I don't know if you believe this and tell me your thoughts on it of our soul essence, our true nature of who we are chose to come here and on this, on this, at this time to feel the spectrum of emotion. It's literally what we're here to do from my perspective. So why are we all running around acting like we shouldn't be showing this and that and we have to be on our A game all the time and like being alone? Wait, that's bad. I'm going to, that's, I'm judging myself or she's judging me and like, you shouldn't be alone. It's like, what if being alone was the medicine? What if feeling your pain was the medicine? What if feeling your anxiety was the actual medicine? Mm-hmm. I, I would rather be around somebody who's, who I know is going to just tell me how they're feeling, how they're really feeling than somebody who's going to pretend that they feel a certain way all the time. Yeah. You can sense it. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm, this is so good. I love this conversation so much. And I love that, that I love that question of who am I really? Mm-hmm. Who am I? If you guys are listening, which you are, but I want you to write that question down. Sit in the stillness, sit in the quiet with yourself for a couple of hours this week. Really, really. And maybe you're going to start out with 20 minutes 
and see what happens when you ask yourself, who am I? And if you, it's a scary thing to wonder about if it's maybe early on your self-love journey or whatever you want to call it. If it's scary, get curious as to why it's scary. Why is it scary for me to know who I am? Curiosity and compassion are, is another just antidote for any, any pain. Mm-hmm. Show yourself so much compassion. And how, if you want to start out with something a little easier, how am I today really? Mm. Maybe that one comes first of how am I? I have this kind of a day. I have blah, 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 blah. Just get curious about what you're actually feeling like. Yeah. I feel like the question of who am I feels tricky for some people because of the expectation and judgment that we will rush to distract us. So who I am, I is like often loaded with, well, who am I supposed to be? It's the supposed (laughs) to, and we have to take strip it down to literally just who am I? What do I know about myself is the question we're asking. Mm -hmm. What do I know about myself? And the scary part is you may not know as much as you think, or you may find out more than you think. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, do I really want to figure this out for myself? Or would I rather live in the comfort and sit in the struggle and in the pain? Because sometimes the pain can feel more comfortable than moving into all you desire for yourself. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh no, I know this over here. What if it's worse? What if it's worse? Ah! I'll just keep recycling my bullshit because I know the result of that. Mm, I love that so much. Yeah, I know it's going to be mediocre, but at least I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's that certainty piece, right? At least I know. Totally. I'd I'd rather know than grow. Ooh, that's good. We're having yep. so many like quotable moments today. <laughs> you guys are getting a treat here because we're both like, Ooh, that was good. I've never said that before. <laughs> you are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that though. I'd rather recycle my bullshit because I'm comfortable there. I know it. It's reliable. Yeah, it's reliable. Mm. Holy moly. Wow. I feel like we unpacked a lot for people's pain today. How about you? I I do too. I feel really good about it. And a lot of the people that I work with, the the question I always get is, how do I do the work? But how do I do it? How do I do it? Yeah. This is how you do it. You, You question things. You get curious. You love yourself through your pain. Mm-hmm. How can I love myself more? Mm-hmm. How can I treat myself in a way that that's different from the past? Because again, nothing changes if nothing changes. Totally. How can I start making a shift? Maybe you make teeny tiny tweaks and soon enough, your whole, honestly, and you'll probably agree, the teeny tiny tweaks is what makes your entire life change. Absolutely. I call it micro moments because I don't know if I could say teeny tiny tweaks 10 times. (laughs) (laughs) But 
truly, truly those, those tweaks and those micro moments are those moments that we take for granted. And the reason why we don't see this monumental shift is because it's not in the one and done. It's not in the do the diet and the fitness plan for 21 days or three months, and then everything is fixed. It's literally taking time to notice and celebrate the tweaks and the micro moments. And when you can do that, you slowly shift and change and transform and that's sustainable and that sticks. So I know that you have this practice um, and you're offering up 50% off a 60 minute breakthrough session. Tell us what a break, what's the purpose of a breakthrough session? Breakthrough session, essentially you come to our 60 minutes together with something that you've been struggling with, whether it's food and body, anxiety, overwhelm, stress, whatever that is coming up for you. And we talk about it. We work through it. Um, I give you tangible, uh, I was going to say product, tangible tools, frameworks, practices that you can start kind of implementing to make those teeny tiny tweaks into your day, into your life. Um, you'll get a breakthrough. I love that. And you guys, she's offering, uh, you have to use, you can use the code cup of joy for 50% off the breakthrough. It's going to be in our show notes so that you can find Megan and Megan, where else can they find you? Like if they want to have more of you in their life, which I'm sure they're going to. Um, I, you can find me on Instagram at Megan Walker co underscore Megan Walker on Facebook. Yeah. That's kind of where I am. My website is Megan Walker co.com. Yeah. I'm super excited. Amazing. I love talking with you. Me too. Me too. So I have two closing questions that I always ask on Cup of Joy, the podcast. So if you're down, we're going to do those. And the first question is, what do you love most about yourself? Hmm. What do I love most about myself? You know what? I love my charisma. I love my charm and how I can connect with people. And I used to think that was a kind of a fault because connecting with people, I used to think it wasn't safe to connect with people. It wasn't safe to go deep. It was very, I was very surface level in my past years and my charisma and my, my charm right now. I just love how deeply I can connect with people and I love making feel, people feel comfortable to be the, their authentic self. And I always like to say, when I give myself permission to show up charismatic and confident and brave, I'm writing the permission slip for everybody else to do the same. Mm. Just like you're writing, just like your confidence gives me permission to be confident. Mm. So that's what I would say. I, my charm, my charm. <laughs> I could not agree more with everything that you just said, because you're, like I said earlier, it's like your charm that comes through creates connection with others because you're so comfortable. You're so comfortable with yourself. It truly, truly is the comforting connection that you bring to your friendships, your relationships, and absolutely, undoubtedly your coaching clients. So I love that. I love your charm too. You are so (laughs) (laughs) And the last question, Megan, is what does joy feel like? Joy feels light in my heart space, really fluttery and kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm hop in my step. Mm, I love and that. 
I'm always smart. When I feel joy, I can't stop smiling. That's what joy feels like rich and juicy and heart space, heart driven. Mm, 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 mm. Just soaking it all up. You know, that's my favorite emotion to feel so good. So thanks for sharing that today. Thanks for sharing just all of you and all of your words and all of your energy. It's been such a beautiful time and I'm so grateful to know you and grow with you and have you on this experience. Thank you so much for having me. I love you, Heidi. I love you too, girl. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. You can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcast. To learn more about Cup of Joy, the podcast, and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.